Man, talk about good news. And you talk about good news when you have a message like that, where you're able to say, behold, he comes. And there is this excitement that begins to build as that message is spread. Because we live in a time of bad news. And we've been talking about it for the last few weeks, how that there's a lot of bad news that's out there, all kinds of things that show up in our news feeds, things that we see on television, things that are just happening in our everyday life. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a message of good news. And I really believe that that message is heaven's response to our world's most urgent needs. And we have been looking already over the last few weeks how that the good news of Jesus is something that, that causes us to become unhindered when it comes to reaching out and coming to God. It, it, it's a message that, that says all are welcomed at the throne of Christ. It, it, it's a message that, that says, look, for all of the bad things that are happening, there is something that is taking place in the world that truly is good because the rule of God is here and the rule of God is present and God's people are on the move with the power of God and God's kingdom is having impact in the world even though you do hear a lot of bad things that are going on. And what I want us to do over the next couple of weeks, I, I want us to go and I want us to look at the writings of a guy that, that maybe you've heard of as the Apostle Paul. He's someone who wrote a lot of the different letters that you find there in your New Testament. And he wrote as a way to talk about the impact that the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news of the kingdom, was going to have on people. And so he would write to church people and he would write and say, look, I want to come talk to you more about the good news. Because it's more than just this idea of being able to go to heaven when I die. It's more than just pie in the sky when we die by and by. There is something about this good news that it was able to impact, Paul felt, the real world right here and right now. A lot of the different isms that we hear about in our lives today. A lot of the different... Things that divide and shape our nation and shape our world. Paul would speak to these very things. And he would say, look, there's an answer. And that answer is found in, in good news. So here's the first one I want Paul to be able to talk to us about today. I truly believe that the Apostle Paul believed that good news was the antidote for disunity. It's the antidote for disunity. And you say, oh man, we are so unified. Really? Who are you voting for in this next election? I'm glad to hear that we're all voting for the same person. That's good. That's good. Some of you are already worried. It's like, all right, are we going to talk about politics in here? Maybe we should. Because it is a great disunifier in our society. And yet Paul says, look, there's an answer for the disunity that grips your family, the disunity that you find perhaps at work, the disunity that you find within your countries. He says that answer is the good news of Jesus Christ. I want you to open up your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians. It's in your New Testament. It's one of these writings that Paul authored. If you need to find it, go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, they're all stuck in there together. Now, if you can't find Galatians, you're out of luck because, you know, you got to start there. But most everything's on your phone nowadays. You just pull it up and hit a button and, you know, hey Siri, find Galatians for me or Ephesians or whatever you want to do. So Ephesians, that's where we're going to start. In Ephesians chapter 4, here's what Paul writes. He says, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy 
of your calling, for you have been called by God. Now, so he writes to Christians and he says, look, Christian, you need to start acting like Christian. Look, follower of Jesus, you need to start acting like a follower of Jesus. He says, look, you have been called out of one kingdom, a kingdom that he would call the kingdom of darkness that he's already told them. And he says, you have been transferred into a kingdom of light. And he says, it is high time for the people who are part of the kingdom of light to begin being light, to live worthy of the calling that you have received. So he says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourself together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, there is one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Paul says, look, here's the kingdom message. And that message is one of oneness. It is this message that says, you are, he says, one. And it might surprise you to learn that God has very little interest in equality. Because he aims much higher than that. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel message calls us into this deeper, greater, tougher, sweeter thing that's called oneness. Oneness in our relationship with God, oneness in our relationship with our spouse, oneness in the relationship that we have with other Christ followers, oneness in the body of Christ. And oneness beats equality every single time because equality, equality demands sameness. For us to be equal, that I have to be as smart as you and I have to be as strong and, and I have to be as kind and I have to be as generous as you are. But oneness Oneness, it presumes difference. To be one with you, I have to accept your gift of otherness. I can be weak and you can be strong and vice versa. In marriage, for example, who really wants equality where the mantra is always, we're even? Isn't that great? Be able to look at your spouse each morning and say, good morning, sweetheart, we're even today. And your spouse says, oh, I'll get even. We're not even yet, but by the end of the day, we will get even. I promise you, we will be there. But oneness is intrinsically cooperative. Oneness is cooperative and equality, well, well, equality is inherently competitive. Equality is what people strive for in divorce. Equal assets. Equal money. Equal time with the kids. The scales must be exactly even. But in a thriving marriage, the husband can be good at cooking, the wife can be good at repairs, each serving the other and resulting in a oneness that means they both eat well and they enjoy a well-kept home. Oneness, dwelling together in unity, is a good thing. And it's even better than equality. And so God calls those who are part of his kingdom. God calls those who have heard the good news about Jesus Christ to oneness. And he does so, so that, so that we can enjoy the goodness and pleasantness of it, but even more so, so that we might be able to have an effective and shining witness. Because nothing shows off the good news of God's kingdom better than oneness. 
It's the oneness of the kingdom played out before a broken and divided world that convinces those who are far away to come near. So Paul says, look, church, live like you have been called. Live as one so that those who are around will know that there is something different in their midst. Because let me tell you, the world sees enough division. The world sees enough drawing of lines. The world sees enough, you're out and I'm in. Paul says, why don't we show, why don't we show the world oneness? So let's back up to something else that Paul wrote. Still in Ephesians, this time chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. He writes and says, now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought, listen to this, Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles. Now notice what Paul is saying. We don't feel the weight of this. We don't feel the weight because we have not necessarily grown up in a time where there have been these lines drawn between this idea of Jew and Gentile. And even when we think of different separating barriers that we have seen perhaps in our lifetime, it does not necessarily reach the hostility and the vitriol that these Jews and Gentiles had experienced with one another. And Paul writes and says, look, because of the good news of Jesus, because of what Jesus did with his death, Jew and Gentile are now together in one body. You're one. You're not equal. You're, you're, you're one. Can't distinguish hardly the other from the person that's sitting beside them. Jew and Gentile. Peace being brought between those two. Imagine peace between Democrat and Republican right now in Washington. Imagine what that would look like. And see, you can't. Right? You're like, that'll never happen. It'll never be that way. As long as I can remember, there's been argument over politics. I knew one gentleman years ago that said if he thought he had one drop of Republican blood in him, he would have it all pumped out. Yeah. Peace between Jew and Gentile. By creating in himself, it says, one new people from two groups together as one body. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought the good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. This was one of those woohoo moments. This is one of those moments where the people would have to shout. The people would have to cry out in, in just praise and just in unbelief because now the two have been brought together as one. It's such a rich piece of scripture. And we kind of read through it and go, oh, that's nice. That's really cool. Jews and Gentiles together. Paul is attempting to show to the extent 
that God goes with the good news of Jesus to break down barriers. And the impact and the effect that that good news can have. And so he uses this analogy of temple in Jerusalem. And he uses the picture of those who are outside Christ. Kind of like those who are stuck in the court of the Gentiles. He said in verse 12 that they were excluded from citizenship in Israel. And foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Without hope and without God in the world. And he depicts Christ's death as breaking down the wall. He calls it a wall of hostility. I want you to think about who is hostile in our world today. Who are the people groups? Who are the individuals? Who is it that you look at and say, you know what? I just don't get along with that person. Who is it that you see fights going on with? Who is it that people refuse to talk to? Who get unfriended from Facebook? He says this dividing wall of hostility between the outer court and the inner courts, allowing the outsider free access to the inside. This is a thing that before would have been punishable by death, but now he says because of the death of Jesus, all have access to God. And he's reminding them that because of the good news of Jesus, they were unhindered then to God's salvation. And while this idea is really remarkable, there's something else that's revolutionary about his words. Look there again in in your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 2, in that section from 13 to 18. And as you read that, I want you to think about something that Paul says here. Paul says that unity with others came prior to reconciliation with God. In order for someone far from God to be reconciled with God, they were first brought to unity with someone near God. He said Jew and Gentile were made one at Jesus' death. And then that one group was reconciled to God. God didn't reconcile Jew and then go reconcile Gentile. God reconciled Jew and Gentile together as one. As one. Two groups filled with hostility for one another. Separated from one another by ethnicity and language and culture and religion. They didn't dress the same. They didn't vote the same. They didn't eat the same. They didn't act in the same ways at all. And yet, Paul says, because of the good news, they became one. And that oneness had a purpose. That together they might be able to enjoy the blessings of God. You see, unity with others becomes the gateway for unity with God. You already know this. Any of you who have ever been used by God to lead someone else to Christ knows that you lead someone to the Lord, not with judgment, but with acceptance. You treated your neighbor like they were, well, your, your neighbor. You didn't care about whether or not they acknowledged your God or worshiped the way that you do. You, you, you didn't draw a line because of their sexuality. You didn't draw a line because of how they used their money. You did not draw a line because of where they worked. You did not draw a line because of, of where they went to school. You didn't draw a line because of their, their family structure or family situations. Instead, you trusted them to look after your kids while you ran to the grocery store. And then, and then you picked up some milk for them while you, were, while you were there. You invited the man next door, though his mouth was like a gutter. And he openly mocked Christians over for burgers and, and talked to him about his carpentry skills and how much 
You admired them. You lived as though there was no dividing wall of hostility between you. At least that's what I hope you've done. You see, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that God made his appeal to others to be reconciled to God through us. That message comes from our mouths, but also from our lives. For we are God's ambassadors. To to be that, Paul says that that two different things occur. That we open our new grace-healed eyes to see others. And that we open our new grace-filled hearts to receive them. And, And Paul says it this way. He says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We don't care if you vote Republican. We don't care if you vote Democrat. We don't care if you vote at all, he says. We we don't care where you came from. We we don't care your background. That's not what we're looking at. And, And he says it this way precisely because God doesn't care. And from now on, he says, we do not count people's sins against them precisely because God doesn't. It's grace healed eyes and it's grace filled hearts. We treat people like they belong to God in order to invite them to belong to God. We treat them as brothers and sisters so that they might become brothers and sisters. And so what does all this have to do with with, with unity? And what does all this have to do with, with Paul saying, this is how the good news of Jesus can be an answer to the world's needs? Well, simply this. Disunity is a terrible witness. Disunity is a terrible witness. If we cannot live reconciled lives with one another, how will God make his appeal through us? Church, if black and white can't get along here, what incentive do we have to offer offer out to our racially divided communities? If Anglo and Hispanic can't share the same space here, what message are we to share in a country that's arguing right now over immigration? If old and young and rich and poor and Republican and Democrat can't, can't sing praises together here, well, how will our message get a hearing at our schools and ball fields and, and workplaces? We will be sweet water and salt water coming from the same faucet. We will be walking and talking contradictions. If we lack oneness with those who are already in the church, how... However, are we going to convince those who are outside that this reconciliation is God's main business? Reconciling the world to himself in Christ. They will see right through our facade, right? That's why I'm grateful. I'm grateful that yesterday, some of our brothers and sisters that worship at Silverdale Baptist came over to help us pack snack pack bags. They had kind of like a Watts Day like we're going to be having here coming up. And, and I encourage you, if you haven't already signed up for our Watts Day, to go out to the lobby and see Nathan Brown and, and sign up to be a part of that. Well, Silverdale was having a similar day yesterday. And, and they came over to help pack some 2,000 bags, something like that. Right, Miss Janice? Unity within the body of Christ is the heart of our appeal. Living reconciled lives with other believers. Others that believe in Jesus just the way that we do. Validates our message to a fragmented, isolated, divided world. And if the people who claim Jesus as Lord and Savior cannot be together, then why should the world ever want to listen to anything that we have to say? Unity validates our message. 
Before his death, here's what Jesus prayed. He said, I am praying not only for these these disciples, but also for all those who believe in me through their message. He said, I pray that they all will be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me. Father, we are one. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them to the glory, or I've given them your glory, the same that you gave me, so that they may be one just as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. You know, earlier on in his prayer, Jesus acknowledged that the world, the world does not know God and the world hates God's followers. And you've seen that before, right? It's not a great starting place for us, but we've seen this. We've reached out to the community and we found individuals who have little knowledge of God and often have contempt toward his people. And it's in a world like this that Paul says all the church has to convince the world is the clear evidence that the gospel works. Once those who are far away, divided by a wall of hostility, now are able to come to God. And it's a sign that we have, each to one another. In another place, John would write that anyone who claims to love God but hates his brother is a liar. He says, for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And that's the whole point. The world cannot possibly begin to believe in the reality of an unseen, extravagant in mercy God, lavish in goodness God, bent on redeeming and reconciling creation until our churches are living object lessons of this very thing. Where those who are on the outside looking in, look in and see men and women from all different backgrounds, Men and women in all different points of life. Men and women that have so many differences, yet united around the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, in 25 years of ministry, I've, I've seen things that both encourage and also discourage me. I've seen great attempts of peacemaking. I've witnessed marriages that everyone thought we're beyond all hope restored through forgiveness and repentance and, and hard work. I've witnessed friendships that have been destroyed by gossip be healed through heartfelt apology. I've even seen an entire church healed by Christ-like humility. I've witnessed fathers who have rushed to embrace prodigals and I, I've seen Hosea's seeking out unfaithful gomers and Esau's welcoming back thieving Jacob's. And each time it was a miracle. Each time it was a miracle of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet too often I've seen the other side. I've watched people fall out with one another over the tiniest of infractions. A slight here, an oversight there, a, a mild rebuke. I've seen whole wars start up in churches over differences of opinion. Where brothers and sisters, just because they... They see things differently, decide that they can no longer sit side by side and utter the sweet name of Jesus together. Rather than make efforts to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, I have, I have witnessed those who seem to spare no expense at, at sowing discord, unable to get along with their brother or sister because of where they come from or the color of their skin or something that their child did. 
You know, I think sometimes people come to church, and I think sometimes we come in and we, we bring all of the divisions that are present out in the world, and, and we just kind of bring those things right here sometimes within our church family, and, and we need to hear a message again from the Lord that says, it's time that you start walking worthy of the calling that you've received. That the messages of the world of division and separation and hatred, the message of the world of bigotry and exclusion are not going to be welcomed within the kingdom of God. You're not going to be able to sow discord here is the message that Paul is saying. But I've seen people sometimes come in and they look for something they don't like and then it causes division. I remember church trips when I was a teenager and, and we used to play this game. You might be familiar. It was great Christian fun. It was called Punch Bug. Remember that game? And it was all about you ride down the road with your um, youth group and you're looking out the window and you're trying to see a VW bug as it comes by. And, and if you do, you get to holler, punch bug, and then you get to reach over and punch the person that's sitting next to you. It was a great game of Christian unity and love. Now, there, there were rules, and, and, and I've passed this along to my kids, and, and, and my son continues to do this to this day. We started it when they were young in the back seat as a way for them to express their love for one another when they were uh, going on trips. My son continues this. We'll be driving down the road, and all of a sudden, he'll reach over and punch me while we're driving. Now, there, there were rules. There was no permanent damage that could be done. You were supposed to hit, you know, there in the shoulder or maybe in the leg, but some people went all Chuck Norris on others, you know. <laughs> Some people decided that um, they, would, they would let you know that they saw it first. And, and if you don't know about Chuck Norris, Chuck Norris, Chuck, Chuck's pretty cool. Um, Chuck Norris can punch you in the arm and he'll break your legs. That's, um, that, that's what Chuck Norris can do. And Chuck Norris can punch a cyclops between the eyes. I mean, that is, he is amazing what he is able, what he's able to do. And so we play this game. We would play this game on the way to youth rallies, and, and you get the picture, right? And some adult, it would never fail, there would always be some adult that was in the van who was there as the, quote, chaperone, and, and they would say, hey, guys, 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 wait, 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 wait. A common love. Sing with me. Come on. You know, that, that's what would go on. And, and then we would have to have prayer and, and scripture reading. And, and we would join in. But between the devotion and between the prayers, we would play this game. Because we were just looking for reasons to hit each other. And I think it's what happens in church. I mean, we all come together and we, we read our Bibles and we pray together and... We sing songs of worship. And then we're just like looking around for something we don't like so that we can hit somebody else. I've heard it called the Philippian syndrome. It's named for a situation that Paul addressed at the end of his letter to the followers of Jesus that were living around Philippi. He prepares to end this letter and... He writes and he says, look, I, I want to plead with, with two members of your congregation. And, and he writes about that there were these two ladies who were there who apparently were no longer able to get along with one another. And, and he pleads with them, he says, because you belong to the Lord. Maybe as you read in your translation, it says to be united in the Lord. That's the foundation, he says. 
because of the good news of Jesus, because of the, the kingdom that you're a part of, he says, I, I'm pleading with you to end your disagreement. And he tells others who are there, look, I want, you to, I want you to help these women because these women have worked hard with me in telling others the good news. Paul understands it is easy for people who have heard the good news to experience disunity because thoughts and, and the life of the world begin to creep in and all of a sudden we start acting more like our old selves than our new selves. And he says, look, would you please remind these women, remind them how they worked with me in the, sharing the good news. And I'm pleading with them to settle their disagreement because of the relationship they have in the Lord. And that's the key. Agreement with one another is hard to find and it's even harder to maintain. I disagree with a lot of you out here this morning. I don't know how you could have gone to bed and not watched Auburn play football last night. I mean, I know Tennessee wasn't playing, you know. I thought surely some of you might watch. I didn't know. But no, I disagree with a lot of people on a whole range of things and books and movies and music and places to vacation. Some of you guys can't wait to go to the beach over fall break and I don't know why. You understand, sand gets in places it's not supposed to go. I disagree with you on that. And on many matters, we have no equality whatsoever. Nor do we want it. Nor do we seek it. But on deep matters, we have oneness. Differences of opinion serve only to enliven rather than undermine our friendship. It makes conversations fun. We don't need sameness. We don't need to agree with each other over everything. How tedious would that be? We need only to agree with one another in the Lord. Those things that matter the most. The list of ones that Paul rattled off when we first looked in Ephesians chapter 4, the one body, the one spirit, the one hope, the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism, one God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all. Paul was pretty, he was pretty clear. He said, there's just one of these. There's a lot of other things you guys can talk about. A lot of other things you can disagree over, but there's only one here. You see, the church is not a place of equality. There's no testimony in that. A bunch of people who are exactly alike, getting along. No, the church is a place of oneness. That is the power of our testimony. That is the power of the good news. So that a nation and a world, so that a city, so that a neighborhood, so that families who are divided over things like politics, who get divided over racial lines, who are divided because of economic situations, who are divided over things that people say and things that people root for and... So that individuals can look and see a body of people that have, that have differences just like they do. And yet see people who love one another and care for one another and uplift one another and encourage one another. That's the power of the good news. Where people can gather together and they can have pretty much nothing in common. But they have everything in common because of what Jesus has done for them. Jesus sacrificed his very life for the oneness of the church. And so what are you willing to sacrifice in order to maintain that unity?
that oneness. Friends, the divided world is in desperate need of a united church. May it start with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let's stand and give God praise.